What's up, everybody? My name is Moore Milo. And I'm Ross Lindarelli. And this is the 52 Podcast. 52 weeks, 52 books, making every single week count. Thank you guys so much for joining us on another week at the 52 Podcast. Today's episode is episode 53, and we have had the pleasure of reading The Ride of a Lifetime by Robert Iger. Excuse me. Robert is a ex, still, still a CEO? He, he just stepped down. He just stepped here. down as the CEO of Disney, and this book is, in theory, his autobiography. It's good stuff. We're going to get into it shortly. But before we jump into that, we have a topic that is very near and dear to both Ross and I's heart because we have our money invested in it. Today we're talking about Tesla for a little bit of news here and why nothing makes sense. Yeah, and the reason we decided to go with this for the news is prior to us hitting record, we were talking about this for almost 15 minutes and figured we should pass this along. So, you know, Moore and I have talked a lot about these different car companies. You know, a lot of us, a lot of people know we're from that industry as well. Um, and we also invest pretty heavily. One of the things that we were talking about is, you know, Tesla now, its shares are at about $2,000, almost 2100 It is... 2050. Yeah, it is insane how quickly this goes. We were just talking about how the other day um, I bought two more shares at like sixteen hundred a piece, and I thought, okay, that's still pretty high. Within three days, I've already made almost five hundred dollars a share on those two. Not to mention, I bought a bunch of shares earlier this year at six hundred, and I thought that was kind of high. I mean, looking back, that was absolutely cheap compared to where we're at now. So you know, we just talk about how is this happening. We think a lot of it has to do with, you know, some of the retail investors. It is a sexy stock pick. But like I was telling more, the reason I stay in Tesla is, in my opinion, it lets me diversify with one single stock because they do automotive. They do battery technology. They do AI technology. They're talking about full self-driving. When they get full self-driving, the Model 3s, when they come back from lease, are all going to be used for an autonomous taxi service. So we're talking about getting a piece almost of Uber when it comes in. Uber's struggling right now with get paying their drivers. They're having a big issue. Same with and Lyft in California. Lawsuit that they have all you have the this, you're going to see not only a way to easily continue that business model, but the price will drastically drop. <coughs> then with that, you're also getting a piece of almost like SoCal Edison or whatever your electric company is because you're getting solar panels. You're getting power walls. You're getting so many other things that this company is so diversified. And then lastly, we're talking, you know, as many people know, Elon is a massive stakeholder in SpaceX. So whenever SpaceX does well, which they've been doing right now, Tesla stock seems to be attached to it and goes up also. So a lot of different things that go into it. But what do you think, Moore? What do you think, you know, when we talk Tesla, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Elon Musk. I mean, at the end of the day, Elon is the pinnacle of that company. And the only reason that, in my opinion, this company is soaring the way that it is and his creativeness. We actually have an, had an opportunity to read a book that completely and totally broke down their journey over the last 10 years and what they've created. And, and you know, he's just a disruptor in every way. And uh, listen, the, betting on that guy is a good bet at the end of the day. Now, what bothers me a little bit is that the price is inflated. I mean, 220 to 20, 2050 is Tesla's now worth more than Walmart. It's insanity. At the end of the day, I mean, this company still is struggling to turn a profit and is having many, many issues. But what we're seeing is the real, the real thing that we're really seeing here, in my personal opinion, is a massive shift from the way that we used to invest in companies to what we're looking at today and what, what valuations we put on companies. You know, in the past, it's all been based off of, you know, profit and earnings and based off of, 
you know, how much you're turning, how much, you know, how much, how, how much you're paying out to your investors, how, how you're keeping your customers happy. Today, you know, Tesla being the perfect example, a sexy idea can take you to the moon. You know, he's really been able to, to capitalize on creating a sexy idea, pairing it with some awesome technology, and the numbers don't really matter. Yeah, you know, the other thing, and, and this was what I was about to tell more before we hit record. This is when we decided we should just do this on the podcast live. Um, I follow SpaceX a lot. And one thing that is very interesting, we've talked about like billion dollar brand club, you know, going against a lot of the incumbents. You know, the U.S. hasn't really had a space industry for about the past decade. And one of the things we've been doing is we pay Russia pretty much to go to space. And the price that Russia charges per astronaut has drastically increased over the last few years. And then the average price of a, a NASA space shuttle launch was insanely expensive. What Elon is coming to do is now they're using these rockets that he's deemed as reusable. The rocket lands back. It's a way to cut costs. So now one rocket can be used five, six, seven times, drastically cutting the cost. And now we're seeing, you know, astronauts going to space on this. When they went to space, they launched two astronauts about a few months ago to the International Space Station. The inside of the cockpit looked nothing like you've ever seen before. It was almost like two massive touchscreens. But that entire thing was run on autopilot. They didn't have to do anything. That thing took them up there. They were pretty much there in case something goes wrong, which is an incredible thought that this guy is able to, you know, do all this stuff with cars, but he's also able to get a rocket to launch from Earth, land on the International Space Station, which is traveling at an incredible speed around the Earth. And then that rocket is able to also come back and land vertically like he's doing things that are nuts so when i talk right now about um spacex most of the time when you see people build rockets nasa would build one giant rocket and they would test it or they would use it and if it failed then they had to go back to the drawing board for like six months eight months right long time if you ever see at boca chica texas where they do these rocket launch for spacex they have multiple other rockets built already as they're going so if they have an issue with the one they're testing they can just pull in the next one, make the few adjustments, and test it a few weeks later. I mean, they are getting so many rocket launches done in such a short span that that ability to get that knowledge so quickly is what makes him successful. And that's what he's doing with Tesla. Tesla is doing the same thing. They're able to learn so quick. They have so much data now. They used to get all their info in what they called version one of their AI, which was taking the info from all the cars on autopilot and running it together. Now they've been using for the last year or two, they call it version two, which is a smarter way. It's trying to understand that mixed with human interaction to where it's a little bit smarter and it's actually slowly eating version one, which sounds weird, but it's pretty much making everything smarter again. Now I was reading in the news the other day that Tesla, either they were looking for a company or they found a company, it was something called Dojo, I believe, that essentially... They're, they're either building or a company that has, they needed a stronger supercomputer to handle all this information. Like one of the strongest AI computers in the world. I mean, they are working and maneuvering and making things so quickly that when you look at a stock like Tesla, it is moving at a rate that we've never seen before. I mean, I've never seen a stock, you know, go from, you know, probably $200, 250 to start the year and be it 2000. I mean, that is, especially multiplying like that it's not like you went from a five dollar stock to a hundred dollar stock like overstock's gone from like six dollars to a hundred that's massive but then when you see the difference between a two hundred dollar stock and a two thousand dollar stock 
the market cap is just humongous. Like I said, they're worth more than um, Walmart that we talked about earlier. I believe that actually makes them worth more than ExxonMobil. So now you're worth more than an oil company. I mean, you they're just doing so and many not other, any oil company. They're the doing so much company. more than other companies and they're doing it better all at the same time. It's a way of thinking. And when you have something like this, like, you know, to tie it into Robert Iger, the person at the helm, the CEO matters. You care about that person's vision. So in this book, they talked about how when Robert Iger got selected to be the CEO, you know, one of Walt Disney's descendants was trying to sue him because they didn't believe that this was right, things like that. A lot of people said that Disney should have looked outside for, you know, a, a big, you know, hotshot guy to kind of spice it up and get that, get the news, the headlines. But the person at the helm really makes a big difference. And I believe a lot of people are buying into Tesla because they believe in Elon. For better or worse, we're going to ride or die with Elon. With Disney, same thing. When you buy Disney stock, Disney owns so many different companies. And in this book, they talked about when they acquired uh, Pixar, when they acquired um, Marvel and things like that, understanding how big these decisions are. When he worked with Steve Jobs to get their movies on, you know, the Steve Jobs products, you know, it's amazing at how much power these guys have. And people talk about, you know, should billionaires have all this money? But it really is amazing how much can be changed by one person's decision. And you're seeing that. Elon's decision has made billions upon billions of dollars into the market. Even on days when, you know, the S&P 500 or, you know, the NASDAQ is dropping, Tesla somehow is up in a huge mark, not five, six dollars. They're up like 50, 60 dollars. I mean, the swings are humongous. So, you know, looking at Robert Iger and a lot of the things that he did in his career, it really is amazing to understand the pressure and the amount of work that goes into just being able to make a decision, the confidence that goes into something like that. 100%. So let's just jump right into it because we already just jumped right into it. Uh, like we said, guys, this book's, this week's book was by Rob, Robert Iger, the ex-CEO of Walt Disney Company. The name of the book is called The Ride of a Lifetime. The book is, in theory, an autobiography throughout his um, uh, media and entertainment career and his trials and tribulations finding his way to create what he created at Disney. Um, as a CEO, he was able to truly do some incredible things for Disney, acquiring three massive, massive companies um, that absolutely changed the game for Disney. Uh, you know, he really... He, I don't know, do we want to go into some of the previous stuff with NBC and all yeah, that stuff? Right. Okay, so his story is very, very long, and you know I kind of want to go straight into the Disney stuff, but we'll give you a background here. He started at the bottom. He started at the bottom working his tail off at the studios, working on you know reality TV and all sorts of other BS, and moved his way all the way through up the ranks uh, to be the director, what was he, the, the head of, head of, uh, of, of, it was comedy, and then Something also like sports. That. Yeah. So he was he was basically running and directing all of the operations for for sports and for uh, for entertainment and for comedy and for all of these different things for NBC and then uh, I believe he moved over to Disney and then they picked him up and moved him into the CEO position. When he got there, you know they were in a weird spot because their previous CEO had been there for two decades and they didn't know if he was going to be legit. They didn't know they didn't know if he was going to come in and come create something awesome. And his first challenge was dealing with one of Disney's staples, 
which is Disney Animation. Uh, you know, Disney Animation had a really, really tough time. They were really losing it in regards to market share and being able to really create uh, incredible storylines that they could brand and, and uh, turn into experiences at their parks. And what they were noticing is that the, the animation division just kind of lost it. They were, you know, trying to figure things out. They didn't have the culture based around it. And he had a couple decisions. And what he ended up doing was buying Pixar, which was owned by Steve Jobs. It was f far and long a more reputable name in animation at the time than Disney even. And he made the decision that instead of going and creating a new team or trying to reestablish the team that's currently there and then making adjustments. He said, scrap it, scrap it. I want to bring in the guys from Pixar that are making it work. I don't care if I have to pay them seven plus billion dollars to do it. I don't care if I have to go to Steve Jobs and make it happen. I want them to run Disney animation and I want them to run Pixar and I want it to turn Disney around by creating a, a, an animation wing that rivals the best in the world. And he did that. I mean, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I was raised off of Pixar stuff. I was raised off of Disney Animation. Um, anyone that is anybody that ever watched animation probably knows the majority of the uh, of the titles that were put out by Pixar and Disney Animation throughout their childhood. And he was able to create a massive statement through that. And, and that was just it, it's just an interesting way to look at business instead of going and fixing the problem to go and bring on the team that already is doing it properly. Yeah, and I think the other thing to note as well is, like I said, when he brought in Pixar. You know, they really just looked for talent. You know, they also brought in, uh, bought pretty much Marvel. Another one that everyone knows, Lucasfilm. So all your Star Wars stuff is really kind of going through Disney. If you ever have time, just look up all the companies that Disney owns. I mean, they own so many. They own ESPN. I mean, you think Fox, about it ESPN, right now. Uh, Disney, uh, Disney owns Pixar, Marvel, uh, George Lucas Films. Everything. Uh, I mean, even it. right now, the NBA. The NBA is doing their playoffs in a bubble. I think National Geographic, too. I think they do as well. So they own all these different things, and they have everyone at Disney World in Orlando, Florida, you know, staying at the Grand Floridian. And, you know, like I said, they own ESPN, so they're able to help find a way to keep their ratings boosted. They're able to, you know, make money with the NBA. It's amazing just how big these companies are. I mean, the book, they talked about, you know, what they had to do to get, you know, Disney Paris up and things like that. And one thing with Disney is, you know, was the it value. Paris or Shanghai? I thought it was Shanghai. Paris as well. Paris too. You talked about Paris too. They, um, the value of the company has has grown five x since uh, Robert Iger took over. I mean, he really is. You talk about Steve Jobs and all these other people, Elon Musk earlier. I mean, he doesn't get the same respect sometimes because he's he's not a in 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 the media trying to use that to be able to build. He's really good at decision making, and one thing's that he always talked about that exemplify, you know, true leadership are optimism, courage, decisiveness, and fairness. And I think those are very good kind of key notes to really keep in mind because he just had a very good way of working with people. I mean, you hear people talk about Robert Iger, you know, he's always been an upstanding guy. There's really not too much bad stuff on him. You know, now he stepped down earlier this year. We've seen actually a lot of CEOs at a lot of other companies step down this year. So it's interesting to kind of see, but yeah, the book was really an autobiography. It wasn't um, blow you away, in my in my opinion, but there's something to be learned from listening to successful people. I mean, last week we talked about what successful people do before breakfast. Well, this book is what successful people do after breakfast. I mean, this really is getting a feel for what you can do and what can be accomplished. So, 
It was a it was a phenomenal book. A little bit of the longer side for what we do, about nine hour book. Yeah, it was long. Um, you know, we're still trying to figure out how we want to do some of these longer books, but it's it's definitely a good one up there. So I don't know. It's it's a harder book to talk about because really a lot of it is an autobiography. So you really just kind of have to look up, you know, what he's done, where he's come from. But I think it's just important to note that, you know, all the theme parks you see, all the the movies you've watched. A lot of them, a lot of the decisions are made by, you know, one person at the top. Obviously, he's got a massive group of people around him. You know, and, he also, and he also said that it was very important to him to make sure that other people in the chain were making the decisions as opposed to just one person making the decision. But at the end of the day, yeah, you're right. You know what? He runs the boat. He's the captain. At the end of the day, it's all the ownership goes to him. You know, you're, whatever your subordinates are doing, that's, the, that's, that's on you because we learned that in extreme ownership at the beginning of our... A trial and tribulation here with the 52 podcast you gotta own it man you gotta own it if you're the ceo own it i agree so i don't know any any last things you can think of you know it was a great autobiography i definitely saw the value in reading the book uh it's worth the read if you are not as into the storytelling aspect of learning, you won't like it as much as a book that they're going to kind of bullet out what the lessons are and, and give you a description of the lessons. However, if you are a learner via experience, this is a great book to read. It was a wonderful thing to listen to how he negotiated with Steve Jobs and George Lucas and John and Adam from Adam, John and Adam, right? John and Adam from uh, Pixar, just to kind of get an idea of, of what... What ways he used to be able to negotiate to create value? At the end of the day, all those deals, George Lucas, Pixar, and Marvel, they didn't need to sell to Disney. They really didn't need to. They had brands that could have they could have built themselves. But for some reason, Iger made it work. I, Iger found a way. He stayed optimism. He stayed he stayed an optimist. Excuse me, and. He made it work. He 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 had the drive and the perseverance and, and the vision and the in the and the ability to see what was on the other side. And even when his board shut him down on everything, literally constantly was shutting him down on every one of his decisions, specifically Pixar, he made a very, very a bold point about when he first decided to buy Pixar and he went to the board and started talking to them about it, and they all of them rejected. Everyone rejected the, the idea. They ended up getting to a board decision. I think they had nine and four. But nonetheless, you know, he battled his own people on this decision. And I'm pretty sure the results speak for themselves. Pixar made, made, made Disney what they are in the 21st century. And, you know, George Lucas films and, uh, and, um, Marvel. and Marvel, you know, are, are bringing us into you know, a more captive adult audience. You know, he really was able to pair the innocence and the love that Disney has always portrayed with an edgier, more adult-facing product, and he was able to just masterfully put them together. So I think that my biggest takeaway is that anything is possible, that there's always a way if you have the will to create it, and persevere, you know? Just go for it anyway. Even when, you know, Steve Jobs told... Iger, that the idea was stupid and, and that, you know, all the cons outweighed the pros, he still found a way to make it work. Yeah, it, like I said, I think it's one of those things that's very important to try to understand people who are in these big positions and try to understand not only their history, but what they, what they you know, believe in. You know, and a lot of people 
don't know. A lot of people will just make assumptions on who's running what or what's going on. But, you know, phenomenal, phenomenal guy. I mean, this was a, a New York Times bestseller. We definitely had to give it a read. We've actually had it on our list for a while. We put it off a little bit because it was a longer book. Um, but we're going to be looking for some more like this. You know, we might even do, we've talked about Elon's book. That's a longer book. We might be starting to spread out some, uh, some things into two-week episodes, maybe doing half of the book one week and the other half another week. Um, trying to give you guys some more value, but also we don't want to miss some of the big books out there just because it's a little bit longer for us to read in one week. So, you know, we give it a shot. It's, we do a good amount of hours per day to try to get these done for you guys. But all in all, I recommend the book. I thought it was really well made. I thought it, it carried a good story all the way through. Um, not too much fluff. Like I said, you're not going to get a lot of crazy skills on how things work, but you're going to get a lot of understanding the mindset of, of somebody in that position and kind of what it takes to be able to stay successful even in a high-pressure job like the CEO of Disney. Yeah, final thought for sure is it's an insight to the perspective of a CEO of a top Fortune 100 company, and it's totally worthwhile. With that being said, guys, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Um, we truly value your guys' listening uh, and, and, and just giving us feedback and telling us what you like and what you don't like. So feel free to reach out to us in any way that you would like. We are available in many, many different forms. Feel free to check out all of our sites and, uh, and emails and all the, that sort of good stuff. Guys, thank you so much for joining episode 53. My name is Moore Milo. I'm Ross Hanarelli. And this is the 52 Podcast, 52 weeks, 52 books, making every single week count. We'll see you next week. Take care.